0: Welcome to Hidden Threads. I'm your host and founder of Panorama Growth, Chris Young. On Hidden Threads, we will be talking to global change makers who are making meaningful change happen in the face of increasing complexity in their companies, organizations, and communities. In this episode, I'm excited to have Betsy Cooper, director of the Aspen Tech Policy Hub, join us. The Aspen Tech Policy Hub is a policy incubator that came out of the Aspen Institute one of the top think tanks in the U.S. Prior to founding and leading AspenTech Policy Hub, Bessie was the executive director at the Berkeley Center for Long-Term Cybersecurity at UC Berkeley. She's also worked at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security as an attorney advisor to the Deputy General Counsel and provided Homeland Security consulting for the Prime Minister's Strategy Unit in London, the World Bank, and other organizations. I wanted to share more about Aspen Tech Policy Hub because we face big problems that isn't going to be solved by technology alone, and we need passionate entrepreneurs that can impact policymakers. Betsy's work at the Aspen Tech Policy Hub equips today's changemakers, both entrepreneurs and leaders at the executive level, with skills and understanding to impact policy. And I hope this conversation inspires you to think about how to better impact policy with your work. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have Betsy Cooper from Aspen Tech Policy Hub. Hi, Betsy. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Where are you, uh, where are you doing this recording from? Well, I'm actually in Napa,
1: California. We relocated up here to get a little bit more space uh, during the pandemic. So That's awesome. Uh, so nice to... Be able to look outside and actually see some
0: greenery. You're doing some really exciting work at the Aspen Tech Policy Hub, and I wanted to hear from your own words a little bit more about how did that all come about? Sure. So the Aspen Tech Policy Hub is an incubator where we train
1: technologists, technology experts, how to engage in the policy process. And I first uh, came up with the idea when I was working at UC Berkeley a couple years back Uh, we were working with some amazing uh, faculty and researchers that would come up with these really relevant issues. So we had one in particular, I remember, who was working on aspects of privacy and the way that privacy was being violated on websites that children were using, for instance. And so a, a lot of our faculty would have great ideas, but they didn't have the training to figure out how to really get those ideas out into the policy ecosystem. So, you know, I talked to this one particular person about, well, why aren't you writing an op-ed? Or, you know, have you thought about taking this uh, to Capitol Hill to let them know what's going on? And so it became clear to me that there was a gap between sort of really interesting technology work and the policy ecosystem. And then as I looked around, I saw the same thing at companies, you know, engineers, startup founders, uh, product managers, project managers, executives, Uh, nobody was getting trained in this sort of toolkit for having impact on policy. And so I thought, why don't we have an incubator that's designed to do just that? And uh,
0: two years later, we're pretty proud to say that we now have that. That's really awesome. After you had the idea, how did you actually found the Tech Policy Hub here in the Bay Area? Well, so
1: uh, one of the things that became clear pretty early on is that I, in order to do something like this based in the Bay, having a DC partnership would be Uh, really beneficial. And so I spoke to a couple of philanthropists who agreed with that idea um, and then really urged me to go out and try to find the right partner. Um, And so I talked to a number of different places and the Aspen Institute really stood out among them as a place that saw this as being additive to their existing priorities So at many other locations, it was sort of, oh, we'd love for you to do this, but maybe you should move to DC first and help us run our cyber program. And then you can go back out to the bay or, you know, we have this privacy project that we'd really love for you to take on, and then you can do your thing on the side. And with the Aspen Institute, it was very much, uh, we love this idea, it really fits with our, you know, platform on innovation, and let us introduce you to funders. And why don't we, you know, have you partner with other uh, programs at the Aspen Institute? And so it just seemed like a really great uh, marriage of a priority system that they had, and this, you know, exciting idea that I wanted to bring
0: to the table. I'm really curious to hear more about how would you describe this gap between the technologists and the policymakers? Well, so first, I'd say when I talk about policy, um,
1: I'm thinking about not just exclusively government. Um, so when I think about policy, I think about meaningful stakeholders who have the ability to change the way the world works. And government definitely qualifies, no question, Um, but so do companies, for instance. If you look at what's been happening the past few days in our government, for instance, the decision by Facebook and uh, Twitter to uh, restrict the speech of the president of the United States is a tremendous policy that has huge implications for our democracy. And so I want to be clear up front that the gap isn't just about government versus companies, it's much broader. So on the technology side, I think that, as I mentioned, technologists haven't been given skills to figure out how to achieve what I call policy impact, which means getting those key stakeholders to change their behavior in a meaningful way. And so, you know, the toolkit that you might use to do that, you know, you need to write letters, you need to you know, have meetings. You need to uh, build outputs that they can actually use, whether that's a diagram or a website. Um, You need to define the problem in a meaningful way. You need to do human-centered design. Those are the sorts of things that at best technologists have a mixed bag of pieces and they haven't necessarily thought about how to apply that to anything other than corporate uh, development. And then on the other side, policymakers, and I think we've seen this a lot uh, with congressional testimony um, that uh, companies have had to give uh, before Congress over the past couple of years, you know, policymakers don't really know much about technology. Uh, They tend not to understand complicated technical terms. Uh, They tend not to have had direct experience. Many legislators, for instance, are quite elderly and don't necessarily use the same platforms that we all use. So there's a tremendous role that technologists can play to educate policymakers, um, but technologists haven't prioritized building that skill set, and the policymakers haven't necessarily been exposed as a result to those ideas and concepts as much as they should be.
0: Yeah, that really makes sense. And I like how you're um, looking at policy much broader for the tech policy entrepreneur work We run
1: a couple different programs and I would say historically, at least our flagship program is the Aspen Tech Policy Hub Fellowship. You know, approximately 15 uh, fellows per cycle. Um, We uh, sort of model ourselves on kind of a Y Combinator type incubator program. So we bring them in. Um, They're individuals. They're not in teams when they join us. They get to come into our program. We pay them a stipend and we give them a 10 week boot camp on engaging in the policy process. And so, in the first four weeks, uh, we teach them about policies. So we bring in lots of different speakers who have experience in the space. I teach a curriculum around how to you know define a policy problem, come up with solutions, build outputs, advocate for it. Um, and most importantly, we give them lots of practical work. So one of our philosophies at the hub is that we don't just have you work as though you're in school doing projects. Like we don't want you to feel as though you are, you know, being uh, taught at. We want you to get real life practice. So even throughout the boot camp phase, we have real life clients that are interested in our fellows' work, and we make sure that that uh, material that they deliver uh, gets actually uh, to decision makers that can, work on those questions. So, for instance, um, we worked with a major city in the Bay Area to uh, consider event safety for big events like the Beta Breakers race that happens annually, and our fellows actually presented to members of that city, uh, individuals representing the race, and a major company that was actually uh, involved in sort of ticketing for that type of event. So we make sure that our fellows not only, you know, contemplate real world policy problems, but they do it for stakeholders that can actually use the stuff that they produce. Um, So the boot camp lasts four weeks. And then at the end of that, we give our fellows a 48 hour exercise in which they have 48 hours to implement everything they've learned on a real problem. Um, So uh, we've uh, touched on a variety of issues there, but one example might be a city considering implementing a new application to help better contact its homeless population. And so our fellows might consider how could that work? What would be some of the benefits or features that you could build? And what are some of the privacy and security risks of providing a sort of application like that um, to uh, vulnerable populations? So that's the first four weeks. And then in our fellowship program, uh, we then give our fellows a uh, six week period in which they get to define a project, a policy project of their choosing. So they develop a problem statement, they do research to refine it and to understand the stakeholders. They ideally do user centered design. They come up with a solution that they think can, uh, you know, sort of drive things home. And then they build outputs and advocate for that solution to the stakeholders that they've actually identified. Um, And so there are lots of examples of our projects, but maybe I'll give uh, one of them briefly to you. So we had a group of fellows that were really interested in helping older adults online. Um, and, uh, one of our fellows, his parents had actually been scammed. And so, uh, there was like a real life hook as to why these fellows were interested. And so our fellows, uh, actually did user design workshops, uh, with older adults and discovered that one of the key problems in the scam process was that older adults uh, did not have easy access to report when they'd been scammed. So they would go online and try to find the website and there'd be 14 different government agencies you could report to. And, you know, some of the forms would not be optimized for mobile, even though most older adults were using iPads. The text would be too small. There would be grayed out boxes that the older adults might not understand were not activated yet. It was just poorly designed form uh, management. And so Our team got together. They created a new design thinking uh, process for older adults to help governments understand how to design for them. And then they came up with version 1.0 of a new form that would solve these problems and also help the government agencies collect relevant content, like which platform were they using when they got scammed, for instance. And so uh, we flew, uh, this, by the way, was pre-COVID, we flew our (laughs) fellows to D.C. to meet with the relevant stakeholders, and they actually uh, were successful in identifying the right government agency that happened to be interested in redesigning the form, and they partnered with the Cybercrime Support Network to get a new version of the form in process. So that's an example of real-life policy impact, where the fellows defined a way that they wanted to change uh, how the world was working, and they went out executed and actually succeeded.
0: Yeah, and I can see the huge potential in that with the entrepreneurs who have a lot of times a wide range of skill sets. Um, how has the reception been in the program, whether it's on you know the government front or on the tech entrepreneur side? I mean, we've averaged between 200 and
1: 300 applications for 15 slots each cycle. So we like to joke that we're harder to get into than... You know, Harvard might be. Um, so that just shows that there's tremendous energy for programs like this. And then I think uh, governments uh, and other policy stakeholders have been really pleased to welcome these fellows into new roles. So one of our alums went on to run the New York City Artificial Intelligence Lab, um, another went to InQtel, which is essentially the CIA's investment arm. Uh, one of our fellows, uh, as she was wrapping up her fellowship, joined a group of experienced technologists to found the US Digital Response, which is this amazing organization that takes technologists and works with state and local governments to have impact on COVID 19 related issues. So they're the ones that are helping to try to make vaccine rollouts more effective. Like these are examples of real people who got a skill set from our program and took it out into the real world. And so Um, So I think that there's tremendous desire, both from people who want to get these sorts of experiences and then the places where they can go, you know, the sky's the limit.
0: And I'm curious, what are you guys looking for when you're looking at applications of these tech policy entrepreneurs? What we look for is really a couple different things. So first,
1: we just want to see passion. And so uh, writing ability is something we just don't have time to go back to basics on during our program. And so we're looking for you to be able to clearly articulate yourself and your ideas. Um, That doesn't mean you have to be fancy in your writing. It means that you need to be very fluid and clear uh, about what it is you want to accomplish and how you'd like to do that. Um, In our applications, we ask you to define a policy problem and come up with one idea for a solution. And one of the key things that we are looking for in that space is creativity. Uh, We're not just seeking for you to say... Uh, I want to put together a commission to study the issue. You should be an expert in the technology area you're pitching. And we want to understand what's the creative new way that you think about that problem. The best applications that come across my desk are the ones where I say, "Huh, that's a good idea. If I say that, that's a really good sign uh, when we're scoring your application, right? Um, You're making me think in a way that I haven't thought about um, on a topic that you know more about than I do. And then we're looking for other things as well. We're always looking to build a diverse cohort across a number of dimensions. So, you know, ethnicity, race, gender, but also where in the country are you from? We're not just looking to uh, bring people in from uh, from specific regions. So you don't have to be local to the Bay Area to apply to our program. And we're looking for people that we think are going to have real impact who for whom this program will change the trajectory of their career at whatever stage they're at. So we're looking for you to bring some form of technology expertise to the program and then to take the program's teachings and to bring it out to have real life impact. Mm-hmm. And so the more you can convince me that you're the unique person that's going to do that, uh, the, the better. And by the way, not just me. Our, our, we have a tremendous team of reviewers as well.
0: Um, that help us make those decisions. For these tech policy entrepreneurs, looking at projects in all different areas, how do you go about defining successful uh, policymaking? Great question. So
1: first, we define policy impact as getting a stakeholder with institutional power to change their behavior in a meaningful way, and more particularly in the way that you want them to change. So just breaking that down a bit, like we're looking for people who have institutional power, so that could be a government or a company or a nonprofit And we're looking for you to go to one or more of those to convince them that it's the right thing to do for whatever reason that might be, whether it's just a good idea or whether it would be beneficial to their role going forward. So an example of that might be if you think that it's the right thing to do uh, to uh, limit the president's speaking on a particular technology platform, you have to come up with an idea for how that should be administered you have to pitch that idea to the right people and you have to build momentum until something changes. And, you know, a lot of people recently uh, played a role in helping that uh, sort of change get achieved. Um, So uh, when we're looking for our fellows to have that type of impact, first, we're looking for you to define a clear problem that needs solving and the stakeholders that actually have the ability to make that change. One of the ways that I think many policy projects fall down is that you just come in. And I would say this is true, by the way, for other types of entrepreneurs. You come in and say, well, the world should have a website that does X. Well, okay, who's going to use X? How are they going to use it? Why is that an important thing that they're going to prioritize over everything else? And so we're asking for you to say, you know, the world needs a website that allows people to find the closest uh, possible COVID vaccine. We want you to explain why that doesn't exist now. And we want you to figure out who would have to be in charge of that, whether that's a state or a locality or a company um, that would you know, have to take charge of that type of thing. And then we want you to go out and pitch that idea. So uh, the types of metrics that we look at are first, you know, did you come up with a concrete idea and build the things that would actually enable somebody to do that? So in the example I was just using, maybe you build the prototype of the website, you know, in 10 weeks, you're not going to get a fully functioning website available, but you can demonstrate the sort of thing that you're trying to build and maybe create, you know, a video or other model that would show somebody why it's important. Uh, Maybe you create a policy brief or an op-ed describing why this is needed and why that particular website uh, would be very useful in these times. Then we want you to go actually pitch that to the stakeholders um, that uh, can make it happen. So there'll be a primary stakeholder that in this uh, example might be the state or local government that would host the website. But then there are a bunch of other stakeholders. Maybe you need to get some doctors involved saying, we really need to have a better way to distribute COVID vaccines. Maybe you want to get, uh, you know, people who've had the uh, COVID virus To be able to say uh, this is why this would be important. So you want to build a groundswelling of support for this. So we're really looking for that. And then you know, of course, finally we're looking for people who can actually say, "Here's my website that was implemented," or you know, "Here are older adults, uh, you know, have access to a new form that they didn't before." But uh, like a Y combinator, we have a high tolerance for failure. So. You know, our program isn't just about the projects that our fellows do. It's about the, you know, success that we can have in training people. So, yes, we love the fact that the Older Adults Project achieved the impact. But we also love the fact that our fellow Raylene Young started the U.S. digital response and is out there on a day to day basis, like having impact every day. Mm -hmm. So it's about the projects, but it's also about training people to have an amazing impact uh, as they take these policy skills in their career.
0: That really makes sense. And, and you hit on a really great point in how you were defining um, success in the policy program. You mentioned uh, institutional players. And I think that's a really good point, especially for this podcast, because our audience is people who are out there trying to make change um, in in complex problems. How can people better go about uh, making change in a big, hairy, you know, problem.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, we spend a lot of time on problem definition. And so you're rightfully pointing that if you don't define your problem clearly, you're going to have real trouble actually executing on that problem. And so uh, I think the thing that our fellows tend to struggle with the most is precisely getting that definition down. Um, and so a couple of the different things that we recommend. Um, so first... Um, you want to define your problem in a way that there is an answer. So I think a lot of times uh, people make the mistake that they come up with a solution and then they build a startup and it turns out you haven't uh, sought a good market fit and you therefore built something that nobody wants to use. And uh, policy has the same issue. You, know, you can come up with an idea and say, well, we really need a new way to distribute healthcare benefits. If nobody Agrees with you that that thing is just going to sit on the shelf, right? Um, so what we suggest is an open-ended problem definition in which there are multiple solutions to the problem. So you would want to define the problem to say, "How can we better administer healthcare benefits uh, to older adults in California?" or something like that. So you want to first, you know, I usually phrase it as, "How can we better?" Because that bakes in the fact that there's something wrong with the existing way of doing things and forces you in answering that question to figure out exactly what is wrong. And then uh, in the rest of the question, you want to be really specific about the specific stakeholders. So notice that in the example I just gave you, I narrowed it to older adults and to healthcare. I'm not just getting out there saying, how can we better administer government services? That's way too broad. Um, you also then want to go out and, uh, actually research that question. So we spend a lot of time in the hub teaching you research skills so that you can both look at paper records and interview people to make sure that there actually is a problem that you're seeking to, you know, define. Maybe there's a great website that's not publicly available that already achieves everything that you're seeking to achieve and you just don't happen to know about it. Um, so uh, so a couple of the, you know, overall tips, raise your question is how can we better? Make sure that there's something better that you could actually do. And then take the time to do the research before you even get to solutions to make sure that you've scoped that appropriately. And then when you start trying to come up with solutions, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier than sort of this open-ended inquiry might
0: uh, lead you otherwise. That's great. Thanks so much for the practical tips in terms of how to, you know, and it's amazing that some, there's so much focus even just on that beginning stage.
1: And let me let me just add that I think maybe there's a regulation that needs to change that would make uh, things work more smoothly or maybe there's a playbook that the people implementing would better benefit from that would, you know, maybe there are no obstacles and it's just about training people to do things better. And so I think that by defining the problem uh, narrow in terms of the stakeholders you're trying to engage, but open-ended in terms of the actual types of solutions forces you to question your assumption as to whether that app or website is really the best way to achieve what you want to achieve. Sometimes it will be, but we shouldn't always jump to a
0: technical solution if that's uh, not necessarily the best way to achieve it. You have advised on policy issues at um, institutions like Department of Homeland Security, the UK Prime Minister's um, Strategy Unit, the World Bank. Are there some additional lessons from those experiences that you wish more people out there knew and practiced? I think the key one that I'd like to share today is just
1: you have more power than you think you have. So one of the things that most surprises our fellows, um, and by the way, we also run an executive leadership program specifically for tech executives interested in going into government. The overall goal might be for a tech executive to consider, might I be interested in someday going into government or let me understand how I might engage better with government going forward. Um, and uh, that's a huge gap in the ecosystem right now. I think uh, up until very recently, most tech uh, companies thought that the best way to engage with government was as little as possible. And they didn't want uh, to to call attention to their company or to the type of work that they were doing for fear of regulation. And I think uh, this program shows That, you know, government isn't just an evil behemoth that's trying to regulate you. It's a much more complex ecosystem in which you can have real impact from uh, a company perspective or more broadly. Um, And that government service is an important, you know, path uh, through which you can have impact. And so we've worked with partners to to build this program and to give people real uh, interesting experiences with government. And uh, really hope that that means that there'll be a whole new ecosystem of tech executives able to, you know, engage uh, with government in a way that, uh, frankly, uh, hasn't been super common so far.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Whereas in the U.S., companies try to do business without catching the government's attention. Um, And in some other countries, companies actually align their business strategies with the strategic plans of their government and invest early on in understanding the government's goals. And I, I can see how if that's done right, that can actually allow the government and businesses to work together for society as opposed to setting them against each other. And on that note, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us and about these valuable programs that you've built. I hope that some of the listeners will get to interact more with the Aspen Tech Policy Hub. Do you have any last words for us?
1: i just say that applications will open uh, in the next few days for both our Hub Fellowship Program and for the Tech Executive Leadership Initiative. So if you're interested in learning more about policy, um, all of our programs are free. It's of no cost to you. So uh, go to www.aspentechpolicyhub.org to learn more about our work. Uh, We hope to uh, welcome many listeners from this show uh, in our future cohorts.
0: All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to come on the Hidden Threads podcast and have a great rest of the day. Thanks again. Learn more about us at panoramagrowth.com. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast channel for more because it makes a difference.